0: 20 years in the making, see Morrissey performs songs spanning his legendary career. A spaceship has crash-landed in the middle of Stanley Park.
1: Unravel the mystery of these unexplained
0: visitors, now through October 31st on the Stanley Park Ghost Train.
1: By day, Randy Jacobs is a veteran producer and voiceover talent at Chorus Radio in Vancouver. But in his off hours, his alter ego, R.C. Waslowski, is an award-winning slam poetry champion, spoken word artist, and community arts organizer. 50 is the new 50, is the new ranch dressing, is
0: the old white supremacy on the new anti-social media.
1: We welcome him to this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast to talk about his love for all things spoken word and audio, and his newly released book of poetry, My Soft Response to the Wars.
0: In radio right now, I work at Chorus Radio. I also volunteer at Co-op Radio. I've been uh, co-hosting and producing a show there since i keep trying to remember when but i think it's 2001 is when i started and uh, so it's been about 20 years if not 21 years and the co-hosts i've worked with have come and gone and changed but i'm still there sometimes i just it's hard to get rid of me or i'm stubborn or something and I have trouble quitting, or change is scary, or something. I don't know. But I've been there, and I've been at uh, a version of Chorus since 1996. It was the still was the WIC uh, broadcasting when I started in 96 with NW, and the, actually, it was on the WIC radio network when I started at Rock 101 and CKNW, then moved into production in the early 2000s when it was uh, taken over by Chorus.
1: When did that interest in poetry start?
0: I mean, I've always been interested in poetry since I was young. And I can remember, I mean, you know, it's like typical for many people, I guess. I'm 56, so I grew up musically in the 70s and 80s. And for me, like, you know, Jim Morrison was a big influence and uh, also reading a lot of comic books. And I remember um, reading Creepy Magazine and they had some horror poetry in there, kind of Edgar Allan Poe-like, H.P. Lovecraft kind of stuff. And uh, it really intrigued me. So I started writing that kind of creepy poetry, spooky stuff, but, uh, you know, just to dabble with it. And then in the early 90s, mid 90s, I started getting the, the bug to try writing again and uh, ended up walking into a poetry slam and uh, seeing it for the first time. And was after that going, oh, I could do that. I really like what they're doing. And then I came back the next month and I started and that would have been in 98.
1: I've heard you referred to as the godfather of the Vancouver slam poetry scene. Is that a title you're comfortable with?
0: Well, that's my friend Mike Webster deemed or dubbed me that one year when I was uh hanging out at the fringe festival in Vancouver, and um I had gone to watch a friend of mine, Andrea Thompson, do her one woman show, and it was all spoken word, and I was there and I was waiting. Uh, for Andrea to come to the fringe tent and hang out and have a drink. And, and uh, Mike was there as well because he likes the fringe scene or whatever. And we were sitting and chatting, waiting for Andrea. And all these people started you know, walking by, ARC, ARC. And uh, he was like, you know everybody here. You're like the godfather of poetry. And uh, that's where that came from. And so I, don't, I just take it tongue in cheek.
1: So, how has your involvement in that scene evolved over the years?
0: Uh, well, I started out as just a participant, and then I was the slam master, the person who runs the Poetry Slam for two years. Um, from like 2004 to 2006, I think it was. And then I helped, well, I started up the Youth Poetry Slam and I ran that for 10 or 11 years. And so I'm more of an organizer now. I don't really go with the slam as a competition. I don't really do the competition at all. Um, And then I branched off into co-founding a youth poetry festival that happens every year. uh, The last five or six years at the Vancouver Public Library, it's called Hullabaloo and it's the BC Youth Spoken Word Festival and it's for high school students and uh, yeah it happens every April during Poetry Month kind of I'm the artistic director and co-founder of that so I've gone more into now organizing stuff as far as the slam scene goes but you know I'm still out performing and doing my own thing uh, outside of that
1: right including a fringe play that you did in 2019 and You know, there was a line in that that said, quick as licks from Hendrix. And now we're talking to you from your home studio, which is actually in Jimi Hendrix's grandma's house.
0: That is correct. 827 (laughs) East Georgia. It's weird how it all comes back.
1: Doesn't it, though? I've asked you this before, but like, you know, do you sense, is there a sense of greatness lingering there at all?
0: Well, we try to channel it. We've uh, decorated part of the house with some Hendrix memorabilia. And, you know, we play Jimmy on the stereo every once in a while and uh, try to conjure up some of that and uh, acknowledge that, you know, we're a white couple living in this house that is historically uh, was owned by a Chinese couple for about 50 years. Prior to that, it was a Nora Hendricks, Jimi Hendrix's grandmother, and prior to that, uh, I'm not entirely sure, but this neighborhood, of course, it's on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil Nations, and uh, we are uh, not oblivious to that fact, and we're deeply grateful, and we do the best we can, my partner and I, to remember that and to share as much of this as possible.
1: Obviously, I mean, as a teen, I'm sure that you weren't considering poetry as a career path. But tell me how, you know, radio became clear to you as a career.
0: Well, when I was young, I used to I I had trouble sleeping and uh, I would stay up in the middle of the night and I'd listen to either at that time uh, LG 73 or 1410 c fun because those were the top 40 stations at the time and I would stay up in the middle of the night and I'd listen to the DJs and I just found that fascinating that there was somebody who got to do that play music in the middle of the night and that was still when there were live DJs on overnight and they were called DJs cause they were you know playing music and at that Although I guess it was pretty formatted then, but it felt like it wasn't. And they'd they'd come on and talk. And I guess that something about that always uh, fascinated me. And I wanted to do that. And I did do that for a while when I was actually uh, when I was in Penticton, I was the overnight jock. And when I w- moved to Vancouver and I worked, started to work at the Chorus Radio Network or I guess the Western Information Network or the WIC Radio Network, I can't remember. I had a show from like two in the morning till six in the morning. And I call it, I call it? the no name radio program. And I was that guy in the middle of the night broadcasting at that time around the province. And, you know, that kind of came full circle.
1: So even before the poetry, there was an interest there in spoken word.
0: Yeah, in a way. Yeah, you could definitely, you know, radio is spoken word when when you're talking.
1: <laughs> so when you started, did your production background inform your approach at all? And conversely, has your experience now as a writer informed how you approach audio production?
0: The production has, because I put together a couple of uh, independent CDs and um, I had access to the studio and all the funky effects at the time uh, that I, you know, and I just wanted to play with it. And uh, when I put on the CD, you know, so I used a lot of those effects. And, uh, some people that I know didn't like that cause they just wanted, you know, kind of an unfiltered expression, their poems, the way they would hear them on the stage. But, uh, I wanted to play and experiment with that and with loops and beats and, and that sort of stuff. So that's what I did. And, uh, so the production has probably helped or informed the audio, uh, or the poems, because I think in audio are auditory terms and, and, uh repeat phrases and uh, echoing, you know, myself or other things and kind of uh, putting that into the poems.
1: As you mentioned, you've also hosted a show dedicated to poetry on Vancouver Co-op Radio for two decades. With the revival of All Things Audio, do you think there's an opportunity for spoken word to really have a moment, especially with the proliferation of short form content?
0: Well, I think it is. Like uh, for the most part it's been happening on video. Like there's a couple of uh, YouTube channels. Button Poetry is probably the biggest right now, but Def Jam had a show on HBO, I think it was, in the early to late 90s, early 2000s that um You can still find that stuff and uh, like the vancouver poetry slam it's got hundreds of videos on there and tens of thousands of views so it sort of had a resurgence via video i don't know how much straight up audio like i don't know how many podcasts are uh, dedicated to that Um, although i turned the radio show wax poetic into a podcast every week and we we put it up online and it's not just on the radio station website so
1: You've also hosted another podcast that you've described as a surrealist audio collage with another former Chorus Vancouver person, Martin Van Steinberg. And I often think about how more people in the industry should be stretching those creative muscles. How do you find the time and the inspiration for that?
0: Um, Well, we don't find the time these days. COVID kind of put a hitch in the production of the thing because we can't have anybody else into the studios. It was a fairly intensive production to put out that podcast because it is an audio collage. And, you know, it would be like tracking down hours and hours of uh, audio from all sorts of different sources. And then I would put them together into like a 20, 25 minute podcast uh, with a mix of, uh, you know, silliness and sketches and and uh, people calling in or, you know, real callers, but not live at the time. So it it was very time consuming. And we used to be able to do like two shows a month or, or even like every week. And, and then it got to be two a month and then one a month and then one every couple of months. And I got kind of just burnt out from trying to put it together each time and then coming up with new content and for it. But we, you know, we put together 48 shows. Uh, over like a three-year span. So uh, I thought that was pretty good.
1: So how have you prevented yourself from burnout? Because, I mean, you know, some some years you've been involved in multiple fringe productions on top of your day job, on top of, you know, organizing all of these local events in the poetry community.
0: Uh, well, I think I do. Like, it seems to be cyclical. Like, each time of the year after... April, there is a bit of a a burnout and lull for a couple of months where, you know, I'm not really doing too much. But, you know, it's because I like it so much. And the love of that drives me to keep doing it. And, you know, for especially like the festival, Hullabaloo, it's uh, I never had those opportunities when I was a teenager to find that place of expression in a way that I liked. And, you know, I love being able to provide that opportunity for uh, high school students today, even if they, uh, you know, only do it for those two years, say that they're involved with hullabaloo, and then they go on to be a scientist or a work in a lumber mill, whatever, but they found that spot for a couple of years where their voice was validated. And I've seen it from others that, you know, it, it's important to them. And it, you know, made a difference in their own lives. And just being able to build some confidence, I guess, to some respect.
1: So tell us about the compilation of poems you've just published. You've put this out now as COVID winds down, but you've got a virtual world tour underway.
0: Yeah, I'm doing an online world tour. Um, I've uh, been as far ranging places as Nanaimo and Victoria, as well as Singapore and Tokyo. Uh, I've got a couple of shows coming up very soon uh, in Guelph, Ontario, in Atlanta, Georgia, and in Paris, France. So that's kind of fun. I'm in Montreal and i and I'm still like and as COVID is winding down, I'm still booking shows. And some of these shows now are starting to become live again. Like they're they're going to be having a live audience and a live venue. So uh, that's hopeful for September and into the into the fall. But the book is called My Soft Response to the Wars on Right Bloody North Publishing. And yeah, it's it's a, a compilation of uh, poems that I've had with me for a long time, like being a spoken word artist. Um, I've, I've had these poems, some of these poems for 20 years, and others, you know, are relatively new um, in the terms of poetry. It's a mix of, of uh, surrealism, poems uh, about recovery from abuse. There's poems that are, uh, I hope, funny and satirical, political. And uh, yeah, it's a whole uh, mishmash. What I've enjoyed so far is that uh, most of the readings, there's all, almost always one person who goes, I never thought I'd hear words put together like that. And, <laughs> and, and I kind of like that.
1: <laughs> so uh, do you want to give us a sample of one of your favorites?
0: Sure. But I thought I could do the, the title poem, My Soft Response to the Wars go for it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I wrote this poem in 2003, when the invasion, the illegal invasion of Iraq happened. And, uh, and I've been sharing it lately, because war criminal Donald Rumsfeld died a couple of weeks, well, when a couple of weeks from this recording. And so it seems more relevant. The idea was instead of coming back with, you know, you guys are all a bunch of assholes, even though they are, I wanted to respond with love rather than more vitriol and hate. So this was my soft response to the wars. I will embrace the sausage makers. I will massage a pommel horse. I will prove to elevators that they're lonely and convince them to quit giving birth. I will go to the zoo with a grenade in my mouth and encourage one lone zebra to commit suicide in honor of the Serengeti. I will lead parades of beauty through the sewers of despair. I will serenade all the oceans until I drive the seahorses mad with songs so lustful one hundred million lunatic horses of the sea will burst forth from the depths of madness, carry us on their backs to a place where we can all weep for the sun. I will gunder thrust I will zazotrope the thunder bruskets I will shake the suffer tree until all the struggle monkeys fall to the ground, impaling themselves on their own divinity. I will devour the rust that coats the eyes of man, chew the cut of history, regurgitate our pasts and all of our past lives until I vomit stars upon a carpet of infinite sorrow where an armless nun cradles the abortions of joy. There, all of our sins will be forgiven for every instance when we lacked and turned away. And I will love you, the dying, with a mad compassion in this, my soft response to the wars. For we all are dying, all the time every back waxing barber, every bingo hall dauber, every bourbon and beer blind blood soaked buffalo hunter, to be reborn again and again and again along a tight rope that ever stretches across a nameless chasm, where feet too callous to feel our lives, slips away into nothingness. And when you slip, I will catch you with these words, whether heard, or read or never known at all, for it's too hard of a journey to go it alone, and loneliness can make demons of us all. So search them out, the savage flower pots of darkness, the dizzied lints that collect themselves inside the bellies of this earth, the insatiable tears of dogs. Know their pain, for it seems everything in their power will be done throughout our lifetimes to keep us from loving one
1: another. So if people want to learn more about you or get a copy of the book, where do they go?
0: Uh, They can learn more about me at my website, rcweslowski.com. There's a link to get the book there. Uh, You can get the publisher is uh, right like RITE right bloodynorth.ca if you know me in the Vancouver area i can uh, you can buy one directly from me and i can deliver it to you we're on the verge of our second printing for what i'm doing for july is that any sales all the proceeds are going to the residential school survivors society So if you uh, spend that $20 and get a copy of the book, that money will be going to support that charity. Uh, I feel it's a pretty important thing to help with uh, right now.
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, having me on the podcast. It's a thrill.
1: Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at BroadcastDialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud.
0: I'm Matt Cundall, host of the Sound Off podcast